Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Right, so amid all the politics of this, the politics of Quebec, the politics of SNC-Laval and the politics of job losses, the politics of the Quebec election, the politics of the MP for Papineau getting reelected, there's some important legal issues at play here. Uh, the fact that we have a major company facing some very serious criminal charges, the decision to be made by the director of the Public Prosecution Service, uh, the decision on the part of the attorney general whether to intervene and overturn that. And, of course, the whole fact that we have these deferred prosecution agreements to begin with and the curious circumstances under which that change in law was ushered in as part of an omnibus budget bill. So if people like Gerald Butts are going to argue that there was some uncertainty around how to navigate all of this, perhaps that speaks to the fact that this was rushed in and not carefully scrutinized. Well, joining us uh, to talk about where the legal collides with the political and the mess uh, the government seems to have created for itself. Very pleased to welcome the program here this afternoon, Howard Anglin. He's executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation, also a fellow of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, former deputy chief of staff and senior legal for uh, senior advisor for legal affairs and policy to former prime minister Stephen Harper. Howard, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Rob. Uh, does it seem... Rather obvious to you that we have a, a whole bunch of people who are not lawyers, who are very much political actors, trying to uh, navigate this very tricky legal minefield. It does. That actually stand, stood out to me as well that on the core disagreement here, which is really between um, former Minister Jody Wilson Raybould and to a lesser degree, but it's based on the testimony today, it seems that her deputy minister and was on side. Um, so the Justice Department, the political and non-political side, on the on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you have the Prime Minister's office and the foremost senior people there, the Prime Minister, Clerk of the Privy Council, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Prime Minister's Principal Secretary. None of them are lawyers on that side. Everybody in the Department of Justice are lawyers. And it's it, I think their respective approaches to whether SNC-Lavalin should get uh, be cut a break with one of these uh, deferred prosecution agreements, the fault line really seemed to run between the lawyers and the non-lawyers. And, like, I'm a lawyer, so I'm biased on this, and I know lawyer, a lot of people are skeptical of lawyers. But when it comes to analyzing whether a newly passed law is applicable to this case and whether SNC-Lavalin is a good candidate for a deferred prosecution agreement, I'm going to side with the expert prosecutors in the Department of Justice who analyzed it closely and looked at all the facts. And of course, Jody and not, Wilson and not the political yeah. people who were looking at the political angle. Well, and yeah. that's what political people are going to do. And fair enough. Yeah. But uh, and when we talk about the question of inappropriate pressure, it's not just the mm-hmm. extent of the pressure, but the fact that you know, if if people applying pressure are citing the political fortunes of the party or even citing job losses, these aren't really yeah. relevant factors at all in a legal sense, are they? No, they shouldn't be. Uh, the neutral application of the criminal uh, criminal code uh, is a fundamental tenet of, of our democratic society under the rule of law. I mean, it, it, political and partisan considerations are used in other countries, including the U.S., to a degree that I think is, is very worrying, um, That in a way that allows governments to really reward their friends and punish their enemies. And uh, by drawing a, a strict line between 
the, the administration of justice system and the political concerns of the government of the day, I think we've largely avoided that in Canada. And here, I would say my analysis is that the political actors crossed the line, um, not necessarily to a degree of obstruction of justice and illegal behavior, but clearly inappropriate given the standards we set ourselves uh, for administering justice in Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, it does appear as though the former Attorney General uh, attempted to to approach this in a responsible way, but I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that it's a cabinet position, do, does it inject too much politics into the position to begin with? Yeah, there's been some talk about splitting the roles of the Attorney General and the Minister of Justice as, as they do in the UK. Um, I don't think it would hurt. I think it's something that you'd want to study. I don't think you take knee-jerk reflexive actions in, in response to a single incident. Um, but even then, that, that doesn't actually immunize the Attorney General from political pressure. Right. If Jody Wilson-Raybould had just been the Attorney General and not the Minister of Justice, I don't see what would have been different in this case. She still would have had the full court press from the clerk, the Prime Minister, four senior PMO staff, the Minister of Justice and his Chief of Staff. They could have she still would be a colleague there. She still would have been an elected politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't see how it would have changed anybody's action in this case. In terms of this law that was created to allow for deferred prosecution agreements mm-hmm. and, and the assertion today that the law was unclear because it was new, I mean, what, what did you make of that claim? If the law was unclear, then it's this government's fault. Uh, they, they just passed it. So uh, if, if nobody quite knew how it should be applied, then, then that is a problem. It, it shows that the law probably was rushed in too quickly. Um, now, it was based on similar law in the UK. The US has a slightly different version of the same sort of procedure. Australia, back in 2017, looked at it. So there has been a lot of study of the issue, and Canada's law more or less matches the UK standard. It's got a lot more detail on the Canadian law, which actually should make it easier to interpret and apply um, in a case like this. But if people really weren't sure whether SNC-Lavalin was a good candidate for this, if they really weren't sure whether this is a sort of case where a DPA should apply, that to me shows that it wasn't properly studied. I think it was drafted fairly clearly. I don't think anybody really disagrees on the interpretation of the law. Um, and so I think there is something bogus about now going back and saying, well, we wanted to be extra careful about the first time we applied the law. The law is pretty clear. I, I read it. I, I think I know what it means. Uh, mm-hmm. Most public commentators seem to agree on what it means. Um, I think the concern was whether this was that the law had been uh, that the prosecutors knew what it meant and the Department of Justice knew what it meant because they drafted it. But suddenly all these political actors in the Prime Minister's office and the Minister of Finance's office they hadn't really got their head around it. Um, and so they were injecting uncertainty that's not actually in the law. But I think everybody would be clearer if the law had had a chance to be properly studied by a committee where, frankly, people would have raised issues like S.S.E. Lavalin, who's probably the most obvious candidate for one right. of these uh, agreements. There would have actually been a discussion of whether their case was the right sort of case. Uh, that wasn't done. It was rushed in, in a budget act. Um, and as a result, now that they can at least pretend that there's something uncertain about it. The law itself is actually pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Well, as you say, I mean, it obviously wasn't just uh, the attorney general's decision. The director of the public prosecution service looked at this other senior uh, prosecutors looked at this. So the idea of bringing in some other outside opinion to, to assess this, or the idea that it would be a, a former Supreme Court justice, right? And then and maybe the, the perception that these are uh, our wise legal elders and we can bring them in to, to weigh in on such matters. Would, would that have added any kind of um, 
credibility to, to the assessment or any kind of unique perspective? It could have added credibility in the public eye to the extent that Canadians might have been, uh, the government might have been able to uh, rely on the fact that Canadians are quite deferential to judges in, in general. From a practical matter, a former Supreme Court justice is no better situated and probably worse situated than career public servants who engage in complex prosecutions, settlements of those prosecutions every day and have for decades of their career. They are best placed to interpret this law. Um, a judge who hasn't practiced law for 40 years and has never engaged in a criminal case in her life um, is, isn't, is, to my mind, not, not even remotely as qualified as the director of public prosecutions, whose job it is to actually interpret these laws and apply them. So I think it would have I think the PMO hoped it would provide them with some sort of political cover and people would see the name of an eminent jurist and that would sort of give them some uh, confidence uh, in what the government was doing. But uh, that's a smokescreen um, and, frankly, uh, completely unnecessary. You had the director of public prosecution who had looked at the law. You had the attorney general who looked at the law. Why a judge coming in looking at the law would change that? Uh, not clear to me in any way. In fact, it's a sort of solution that I think you come up with when you're desperate and you're looking for any way to convince Attorney General to change her mind. Uh, but her mind was clear, and frankly, the attempt to provide her with options to change her mind and pressure to change her mind was what was inappropriate in this case. All right, and it, it seems fascinating that the option of of overruling the the director of the public prosecution is is still on the table at this point. Did you, I mean, it's a political question. Do you think they're they're so craven as to to proceed with that? Oh, no, that, that, that's the strange part here. So, Mr. Lametti is the new Minister of Justice and Attorney General. I understand why he doesn't want to take a position either way. He, if it, he ever has to make a decision on this case about whether to issue a DPA and overrule the uh, public prosecution service, uh, he wants to be free of any taint. I, I, I cut him some slack in saying, I'm not going to comment, I'm not going to comment. That's probably appropriate for the Attorney General. But for anybody else to be... Um, in the government to be raising the idea that uh, a DPA might still be on the table at this point, um, including the clerk of the Privy Council, I just don't get it. It's this line, and we've heard it uh, from several people, Mr. Butts today, Mr. Wernick today, others uh, last week, that, well, the Attorney General always has to keep an open mind because if there's new facts, uh, that changes whether a DPA might be appropriate. Well, that's true. But then when Mr. Butts was asked today, well, what new facts were out there, he couldn't answer. And that's because if you look at everything that, um, every fact that was raised to pressure uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould to change her mind and cut the Cincy Loveland deal, every single fact was something that was already known. On September 4th, when the Director of Public Prosecutions decided not to offer uh, this break to SNC Loveland in their criminal corruption trial, and that has to be remembered, this is a trial about foreign criminal corruption. When she decided not to uh, offer them um, a DPA, it was known that SSC Lavalin was located in Montreal. Right. It was known that they had 9,000 employees. It was known that they had pensioners. It was known that they had uh, creditors and debtors and liabilities. It was known that there was an election coming up in Quebec. It was known that there was a federal election coming up. These are all the facts that were actually impressed upon Mr. Raybould weren't new facts. And frankly, they weren't even relevant facts to whether SNC Lavalin uh, should be given a break on their criminal activity. It's, uh, so I, I, I find that line, uh, while superficially it's technically true, it, it's really it's somewhere between 
farcical and facetious as, a, as an actual right. explanation of the actions that PMO was taking. Yeah, and, and I mean, to, for the clerk of the Privy Council to assert today that, that an attorney general's decision is never final, which maybe there's some truth to that, but presumably sure. then it's, you, you, could, you, could, you could phone her every single day and, and ask yeah, if she's exactly. changed her mind, right? Yeah, and it's not final if there is relevant material new evidence. But nobody's pointed to any material new evidence. All the evidence, quote, evidence that was impressed on the attorney general wasn't evidence. It was just political considerations. It was political pressure. It, as I say, the fact that SNC-Lavalin is an important Montreal company was known to everybody. It's not a new fact. It's not, and if 10 or 11 people are calling her up over a three-month period and tell, reminding her of this, that doesn't sound like they're asking her to exercise her judgment as attorney general to consider relevant new material evidence. It sounds like they're telling her to change her mind uh, without any new evidence. And that's a political pressure. That's not that's not a legal consideration. Yeah, it's totally inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it in a nutshell. Uh, Howard Anglin, we'll leave it there. Really appreciate the insight. And uh, thanks for making some time for us here. Thank you. It's a complex issue. So thank you for letting me drone on a bit. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.